John chapter 6. I'm going to preach a message tonight, even though I know as I announce my text that, well, let me just ask, how many of you in your Christian life have heard someone preach before on the feeding of the 5,000? All right. How many of you have heard five sermons on feeding the 5,000? How many of you have heard, <laughs> how many of you have heard 50? I'm, I've been around a long time. I grew up hearing some of the greatest preachers in the world. Dr. Harold Seitler, Dr. Lee Robertson, B.R. Lakin, Dr. Jack Hudson, Dr. Bob Kelly, and I could just go down the list. I've heard some of the greatest, and I've heard those men preach on this passage. So I know tonight I have a challenge, and I'm not just trying to be different, but I want to tell you where this message tonight, not the message actually, but I'm going to give three simple points tonight that I stole from a young Japanese preacher. I was in Japan, and my Japanese wasn't good, and I was in our Bible college, and we were having graduation, and one of the young graduates preached a sermon, and I honestly, when I heard it, I didn't get probably 70% of what he said because I I was struggling to follow his Japanese, but I I got his outline, and as I heard him preach, I thought I've heard some of the greatest men of God. Men have influenced this country and the world. I've heard them preach on it, but I've never heard anything so simple but so profound as I heard that young Japanese preacher give. And I wrote down the three points. Now, so this is not his message, but his outline. I'm just being honest with you. So in John chapter 6 and verse number 4, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him. You remember I mentioned this morning that it seems like in the Gospels, when you see Jesus, he's seeing people. And here it is again. And he had compassion uh, and he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. He was God. He knew exactly. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Well, I was sitting there in that, in that Bible conference in Japan listening to this young Japanese preacher give his message, and here was his first point. He said it was not the gift. It was not the little boy's gift that was important. It was to whom he gave his gift. And I thought, I should have seen that myself. Can I say to you tonight, you see, it's not how much talent you have. It's not how much ability you have. Some of you in this church tonight sitting here think God could never use me. Because, listen, you have 
great talent in this church. And some of you think, I could never sing like these musicians we've heard this week. Some of you think, I could never play the instruments like we've heard this week. Some of you think, I could never preach like Pastor Edwards. Some of you think, I could never go to Denmark or never go to Labrador. I could never do those things. May I say to you, you're the candidate God's looking for. For, Because it's not your ability, it's not your talent, it's not your background, how much money you have, how good looking you are. Aren't Aren't you glad that's true? It's not the value of your talent and your abilities. Is it? The question is simply this. Will you give what you do have to God? I mentioned this already, alluded to it at least. Linda and I grew up on the farm. That's a big blessing for a missionary. Growing up on the farm, especially if you're going to Africa and places we've lived, it was a big blessing. People say to us, how did you all eat the stuff that you ate out there? We, if a grasshopper got in our church, it didn't get out. Uh, we ate termites for dessert. If I was out working and we ran into a termite hill, uh, all the work stopped. Pastor, viens manger, viens manger, come and eat, come and eat. And we all ate. And people say, how did, how did you eat those things? And I said, if you grew up on the farm like we did, and you ate pig feet, souse meat, pork brains, and all the things we did, you can eat anything in the world. But we grew up on the farm. But not only did we grow up on the farm, we were both some of the most... Um, Timid, I know y'all don't believe that, <laughs> but it's the truth. We were, we were so shy and bashful. I was talking to one of the families here, I think it was yesterday, the day before, and the little girl got around behind her mother, was peeking around behind her mother, and I said, that's exactly the way my wife used to do. She would not talk to you unless you looked her right in the eye, and it was hard to do that because she was hiding behind her mother. She was, just, she was a, a, a smart little girl, but she would just unusually shy and timid and I was the same way my my dad had left my mother and I lived with my grandparents and I was a little anyone know what it means to be the runt I was just a little guy everybody picked on me I had to fight a lot of times anyway I was just so bashful and shy but God did interrupt my life one day he called me to preach it was on a Tuesday it was in a funeral had nothing to do with the funeral I don't know what the preacher said. All I know was I was sitting there in the quiet and God was working on me. That was Tuesday and that week, all week long, I was just terrified. How, how could I ever stand up before people and talk? How could I preach? And I, I was miserable all week. I went to church on Sunday. It's the only time in my memory in that church, they had a balcony. It's the only time in my memory that I sat in the balcony I wanted to be as far away as I could get. I didn't want anybody to know what God was doing in, me, in my life. But I, I sat there and I listened to the sermon and they gave the invitation and they sang and they sang and they sang and they sang. And finally the song leader said, one more stanza, unless somebody comes, that's all we're going to sing. And I could not stand it. And I left my seat, came down the steps, came to the front of the church and told those people that day, that God had called me to be a preacher of the gospel. Now, I was just 16 years old, so I wasn't, obviously, I wasn't married then, but Linda and her parents went to that same church. And after I married her several years later, I found out that that day that I surrendered publicly, her mother and father were present in that church service. And her dad went home that day and said to her mother, Honey, 
that little fellow never will make a preacher. <laughs> because no one would have looked at me or looked at her and said, there's somebody that God can use. You may be here tonight and you're, you're backward, you're shy, you're timid, and you think, I could never do that. I believe this, God can literally change your personality if you'll let him. The little boy didn't have anything fancy. It was little barley loaves and a couple of fish that these were, look, this was not mahi-mahi. <laughs> this wasn't rainbow trout and big mouth bass. This was a little boy's lunch, probably a couple of sardines. More than likely, actually, because of the heat there, like down in, in Africa, it, it was probably dried fish. It wasn't anything that would have cost a lot of money. It wasn't a sack lunch. It was a basket lunch. The little boy got up that morning and his mother put, a, put some little bread, pieces of bread in there and a couple of little fish. But he went that day and he, and he did something that I wish we could all do, yet we can in a sense. He went that day to stand and listen and watch a man named Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To stand there and watch Jesus walk over to a leper and touch him in his hole. To watch Jesus. In fact, if you go back in the previous chapters in the gospel and read the context, that's exactly what Jesus has been doing. Jesus would touch the eyes of a blind man and he can see. Make the deaf hear. And that little boy stood there watching that, listening to the message. And don't you know that watching Jesus, his heart was stirred. And I think there was something in him. I honestly believe, I couldn't prove it from the scripture, but I think the little boy was saved. I think he had been just standing there watching this man realize that there's something different about him. He's the friend of sinners. Did you catch that verse back in the beginning? He looked up and he had compassion on those people. And here was a little boy, uh, no one special, no great. Uh, he didn't eat what we did today. I wasn't going to tell you, but I guess I've already got myself into it now. You know what we had for lunch today with Pastor Edwards? Shrimp and grits, Cajun style. Now, if you don't like that, it's all right. I feel sorry for you. This wasn't shrimp and grits. It was just a few little pieces of barley bread, cheap bread. This was not sliced loaf bread. A couple of little fish, that was all it was. It was not the value of his gift, but that he gave it to Jesus. That's the first point the little Japanese preacher made. The second one was this. The little boy gave all of his lunch to Jesus. Think about that a moment. Y'all understand that boys and girls are different. I got it. We had five kids. We have uh, two boys and three girls. Our, our boys never lived together. They're almost 18 years apart. We left the oldest one in the U.S. for college and took a three-month-old baby back to Africa. But if you came to me and said, Brother Godfrey, your daughter Hannah, that's her oldest girl, they heard that their next-door neighbor lost their job and they didn't have any food. And Hannah went in and took food out of her cupboard and gave to the neighbors. I would say, our Hannah would do that. That's just like her. You said, Brother God, for your daughter, Benita. Benita was here one night, and they work up at Temple Baptist in Herndon. 
You said, uh, Brother Godfrey, Benita found out that one of the Hispanic families in their church didn't have any money and they were struggling and Benita took all of the money she had and gave to them. I would say, my Benita would do that. If you said, Brother Godfrey, Lydia, that's our youngest daughter, we'll see her tomorrow, Lord willing, and a brand new grandbaby that we have not yet seen down in Suffolk, Virginia, but they're missionaries in Nepal. If you said, Brother Godfrey, Lydia heard that their next door neighbor in Nepal needed some surgery or they had a child sick. See, in Nepal, our son-in-law had some surgery a couple of years ago. When you go to the hospital there, you have to go to the pharmacy and buy the gauze and the needle and the IVs and the thread and everything because the only thing in the hospital is a little cot. If you said, Brother Godfrey, Lydia heard that those neighbors had a child that was sick and needed some help, and Lydia gave them all the money she could get together, and, and she gave them some food, and I would say, I believe you, my Lydia would do that. But if you came to me and you said, Brother Godfrey, your son Lane or your son Robert gave all of their food to feed somebody, I would say without batting an eye, you are lying. My girls might do that, but there is no way that my boys would have done that. And as I heard the young Japanese talking about it, I was sort of meditating on this. And, I, you know, I've already told you, I'm not a young guy, but I don't feel old. I'm just in an old body, you know, but I don't feel old. And I still think like a child sometimes, like a young man. And I was, I was thinking, what would I have done? What, would, what thoughts would have crossed my mind? I think I would have wondered, why didn't everybody else's mama fix them a lunch? And then I would be thinking, my mother loves me and she fixed me this wonderful lunch. And how many pieces of bread did he have? Five. How many fish did he have? Look, I got this thing figured out, okay? I've been standing there watching and listening to this man, Jesus. And I love him. And I know he's the Savior. And I wouldn't want Jesus to go hungry today. And if I gave Jesus, that this is Godfrey version, if I gave Jesus three pieces of bread and a fish, that's more than half of it. That is sacrifice. That's what I would have done. That's not what this little boy did. I want you to think about it. Why is it that this story is one of the very few stories that you read in every gospel account? I don't think that's an accident. I think God is trying to teach us a lesson. Here was a little boy who knew something that I wish all of us could learn. It pays to give it all to Jesus. You know, faith promise, it's a wonderful thing. Can I just say to you that if I did not practice, if we did not practice it, we had our faith promise already this year in our church. If we did not practice it and we did not give, I would never stand before you and say that you ought to do it. But I don't believe that faith promise is about this. I believe that faith promise, grace giving, given to get missionaries to the field, comes from right here. I believe it's when I made the decision that, Lord, I'm turning it all over to you. A young man needs to say, God, you show me who I should marry. Lord, you show me where I should go to college. You show me what I should do. You show, 
you help me, Lord, to turn, take my hands off and turn it all over to you, whether it be my planning, my future, my safety. People will say to us sometimes, I've had, I have no idea how many people have said to me, not to her, they say to me, how could you take your wife and your little kids out in the middle of the jungle, no electricity, snakes everywhere, crocodiles in the river, hippopotamus, everything wild. How could you do that? There's no doctor. How could you do it? And I, the reason I could do it was that I turned all of that over to, to God before we ever went to Africa. It's not that we're brave. It's not that we're heroes. We're really not. We just believe that God meant what he said to us. And when we surrender our all to him, he will take care of us. Have you ever heard someone say, I regret that I gave my heart to Jesus? Have you ever heard someone say, I regret that I gave my life to Jesus? I've been preaching 47, almost now 48 years. I've never heard someone say, I regret that I did it. But I tell you what, we preachers here, we hear people coming to the altar saying, I wish I had. I regret God was dealing in my heart when I was a young man or a young lady and I came to the altar and yet I didn't surrender and I was preaching out in the Philippines. I was way down south in General Santos, Gensan. And I'd been preaching for missionary Doug Sisson, a great ministry down there. And we had gone out of town one day into villages and, and just into, into houses and passing out tracts and talking to people about the Lord. And I like the way they do it. The Africans, they don't knock. Uh, there's no door really. It's just thatch. There's no door to knock on. They say, Kong, Kong, Kong. That means I'm out here. Uh, down in, the, in General Santos, we'd go out. We didn't knock. They'd say, Ayo, Ayo, Ayo. When I was over in Mongolia, I forgot the word. They have a word like that, and you say it before you walk up to the house, and I found out later it meant, Hold the dog, because they got mean dogs. And, but anyway, we were out talking to people, and we were, Ayo, we were talking. Well, this little, this little girl walked up behind me, and she's eating a ripe guava. You poor folk up here, you don't even know what a guava is. But folk who live in Central America and over in the, in the Philippines and Southeast Asia and in Africa, I, she was eating that right guava. I smelled it. I turned around and I said, Honey, would you eat that guava in front of me like that? And she said, Yes, sir. And, and she ate it and we were playing. It looked, I was having a little good time with her. And then one of the Christians walked up to me and they said, Brother Godfrey, there's a backslider lives over there in the coconut plantation. I said, really? Would you take me to see him? Now, I should have known better because, again, in Africa and the Philippines both, if you ask for directions, the man holds your hand and takes you there. So I don't know if you can... Im- I don't know if you can imagine how hard it is for a Marine to go walking down a mountain holding hands with some other guy. <laughs> but they took me down this mountain and across a stream and up in this banana coconut plantation. And there was a young man there, young Filipino, about 25 years old. And I walked up to him and I shook his hand, introduced myself and... Uh, you know, I always tell them, I'm, I'm J.B. Godfrey, and I, of course, obviously, I'm from America. But I like Balut, and I eat Balut all the time. I like, 
I need dice and shoestrings, and most of y'all, I won't tell you what that is either. But, and I started talking with him, and then I, I looked at him and said, Young man, are you saved? And he said, Brother Godfrey, I know that I'm saved. Then I asked him another question. I said, Young man, are you living for God? And when I said that, he began not to cry, he began to sob. I mean, he is, he is sobbing. The tears are just coming down both sides of his face. And he's just, I didn't know what have I done. I just said, young man, are you living for God? And then when he finally got a little bit of his composure back, he said, Brother Godfrey, I was a Bible college student at Missionary Rick Martin's Bible College in Iloilo. And I got discouraged and I quit. And I came back home and I'm living out here in this coconut plantation making palm wine for a living. And he cried and he cried and I pled with him to get his heart right with God. And folk, I've never heard someone say, I regret that I gave my life to Jesus. But I've heard people all over the world weep and sob because they did not give him their all. Let me give you my third point. Let me rephrase that. Let me give you the young Japanese preacher's third point. He said when the young boy gave all of his lunch to Jesus, he received the greatest blessing he'd ever had in all of his life. We usually think about this story from the side aspect of Jesus and what he did. And it was a, it was a great miracle. But have you ever thought what that little boy was experiencing that day as he handed his lunch over to Jesus? Do you think that he knew what Jesus was going to do with his lunch? I don't think he had a clue. I just believe he, he thought, hey, it won't hurt if I skip a meal today, but I want my Jesus to have something to eat. And he gave his lunch to Jesus. Now think about it a moment. Jesus takes his lunch. And the little boy is standing there watching, and Jesus raises his eyes to heaven and he says, Dear Father, thank you for this little boy's lunch. Because <laughs> it said Jesus gave thanks for that lunch. And then the little boy is still standing there watching as Jesus says, Hey, Peter, bring me a basket over here. And Peter brings a basket and Jesus takes that, those five pieces of bread and those little fish and he begins to break and he's breaking them. And before long, that basket's filled up. Hey, John, need another basket over here. And uh, Jesus is still breaking fish and breaking bread. And now, hey, Nathaniel, bring me another basket over here. Have you ever thought what that little, that little boy standing there thinking, that's my lunch. That's my lunch. Look what Jesus can do with it. Now there are four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve baskets full of food. And Jesus instructed the disciples, have all the men sit down, five thousand of them. Now I read that part and I thought, man, if these were Africans, think how many wives they would have been. We lived in a place where men had multiple wives. Some some lady asked me to be her husband every week we lived in Senegal. They would propose marriage to me and Linda standing beside me. I'd say, I can't feed the one I've got now. <laughs> and if I, had you, if I had two wives, you would fuss and fight, and they would just laugh because they do. They pour boiling water on each other. And anyway, 5,000 men and their wives and their kids, and that little boy sitting there watching. He 
you standing there watching as those disciples go up down those rows? And those men are getting some bread and getting some fish and they're eating and all their wives and all those kids. And, and then I also, when I read this thing, I thought, these weren't Baptists. Because it does say in this passage, they ate till they were filled. And I've never seen a bunch of Baptists you could fill. I mean, we just eat and, and we're going to do it again. That's why, anyway, that little boy, five, he, he's sitting there watching as Jesus fed a multitude with his lunch. But the story's not quite over. My, maybe sometimes my, my mind, my, memory, my, my imagination gets a little ahead of me, but can't you imagine what happened that night when that little boy went home? Hey, Mama. Hey, Mama, come out here on the front porch. You're never going to believe this. You know that lunch you gave me this morning? Mama, there's five, there's 12 baskets of it left over. Now, hang on. I'm not preaching wealth, health, prosperity gospel. But I am saying this. Here's been my experience with the Lord. When I give Him everything I've got, I stand back in amazement at what He does. By the way, that crowd that tells you to send them an offering, put your hand on the radio or the TV and send them an offering. <laughs> do, you, do people not think as they listen and watch that crowd? Did you know that one of those guys, faith healers, that does that and tells people they'll be rich and never be sick and live in a mansion, drive a Cadillac, he wears a toupee. Now just think about that a moment. <laughs> anyway, here's my experience with the Lord. Little shy, backward country boy. I didn't know a lot of theology. I really discovered the Bible that day when I surrendered to preach. I'd had one before, never really read it like I should have. But I learned a lesson, and I'm still learning it. It's when I give what I have to Him, I just stand back in amazement. I get up some morning, and uh, first thing I do is go through the kitchen, put the coffee on. Then I go in to shave, and many a day I'm standing there shaving, and tears are coming down my, out of my eyes. Not because I'm sad. I'm not sad. I'm so happy. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm just thinking how good God's been to me. I mean, He saved me. He's given me a wonderful wife. He's given me a great family. He's given me friends. He's let me serve Him all over the world. He's let us. Linda and I have won people to Christ on four different continents. Not countries, continents. When I get to thinking about that, my, my mind and my heart just overflows with gratitude and joy and amazement at what he can do. First time I ever went to Japan, I'd been in, I was an African, then I was pastor. Dr. Sisk had asked me to pray about being Far East director, and I went to Japan to, o to Maranatha Baptist Church on Okinawa. Some of you have been there, and they had had typhoon damage. The water had blown right up under the siding of the church, and I had gone out with a work team with Dr. Clayton Schumper to help repair the building and we had been working hard. I mean, we were about worn out, but 
Sunday night, I preached at Maranatha Baptist Church. There was a group of us who had been traveling together. And that night as I preached, one of the, an older couple retired. They're from Pensacola. They were sitting on this side of the church on the front row. And I preached. And when I, pre- when I finished, I gave the invitation. And a young Marine stood up and started following. Well, I knew he was a Marine. I mean, he had a good haircut, looked sharp, and had on his uniform. <clears throat> he's coming down i saw him coming i went down i went down to the front and when he came down i, I put my hand down and i said young man why have you come and he said brother god i need to get saved and we're down there doing business with god on my knees at the front of maranatha baptist church have you ever had somebody staring at you so so much that you can feel them i'm down there winning him to christ and i could tell somebody was just staring at us but I finished what I was doing. I went into the Lord. And then I looked around. And that couple from Pensacola, they came running up. And they said, Brother Godfrey, this young man used to be a Sunday school kid in our Sunday school class in Pensacola. And we're on the other side of the world watching him get saved. <laughs> Some people would say, what a coincidence. Look, you can believe that if you want to. <laughs> you know what I call that? That's the overflow. That's the blessing. That's what, that's what I've experienced when I give what I have to the Lord and stand back and watch Him work. In the early 70s, Lynn and I started out young, and in the 70s we were on deputation raising support to go to Africa. And there was another young couple, Swanti and Linda Lindquist. They're still missionaries. They're down in Jamaica now. Spent many years in Africa. But Swanti and Linda, uh, they were from California. And uh, he was a... He was a paratrooper in the Army. He was a Green Beret, actually. And his wife played a cello in an orchestra, very talented, dainty lady, uh, and uh, hanging around. They lived with us. They lived in our house first four months and after they lived with us. That was culture shock for both of us. But they were on deputation raising support, and they were in a missions conference just like this one, and they heard, I mentioned my friend Ron White. He was preaching. They heard Brother White say, Folks, we need some money to help buy an organ for our church and Bible college in Kobe, Japan. And God spoke to the heart of that young missionary lady, Linda Lindquist, and said, you can't, you can't take your cello to Africa. Can you see her riding a camel down the Sahara playing a cello? God said, you can't take that cello to Africa. Why don't you sell that cello and give the money to help buy that organ? Well, she bought it used. When she was in college, she paid $100 for it. She called a friend who knew about musical instruments, and he said, well, bring it to me. And she took it to him, and he did a little study and found out it was an older and a rare cello. And they sold that cello for $4,000. Linda Lindquist came back to Mrs. Conference and gave Brother White $4,000 to help buy that organ. And he, he looked at that, and he said, there is no way I can take that. He said, you give me half of it, but you all are going after you keep the other half. And that young lady, Linda Lindquist, said, God told me to sell my cello and give that money to you to help buy that organ. The pastor, they heard that story, and he said to Brother White, what would it take to buy a new organ? And he told him, and they gave some more money, and they bought an organ. This was in the early 70s. That organ is still in the Bible college in Kobe. They still use it every day. Japanese men and women are trained on it. That's a wonderful story already, but my story's not quite finished. It gets even more amazing. 
Over in Japan, a young Japanese lady trusted Christ as her Savior. She enrolled in the Bible college. All of the students have to study music. But Matsumoto-san, didn't have it. she didn't have a musical bone in her whole body. And the church building shares a wall with the missionary house. She about drove the missionaries crazy trying to play that, learn to play that organ. She'd play, what a friend! She'd hit a sour note. And they would think, she's got to get it right the next time. She can hit that same, she did. But she stayed at it. She's stubborn. She's a very persistent lady. <laughs> I, know her, I know her well. She, she, she kept at it and she kept at it and she kept at it till she learned to play that organ. But in all that process, God called her to be a missionary to Africa. God put on her heart a burden for a certain country. And back in the 80s, she came to Africa to work with us, having no idea. In fact, no one knew this story until I, until I started going to Japan. You know where God sent that young Japanese missionary lady? To the one little city up in the Sahara where the lady lived and sold her cello to buy that organ. So she could come out there and play the music in our church for us on the other side of the world. I'm just saying to you tonight, folks, that's been my experience with the Lord. We just said as young kids, freshly married. In fact, when I proposed to Linda, I said, honey, God's called me to be a missionary. I don't know where. It might be in Alaska. It might be in Brazil. It might be in Japan. I did not say one word about the Sahara. I don't know if she'd have married me or not. But even as a young couple, before we were ever married, we made a decision. Lord, everything we have, everything we are, everything we'll ever own, our family, our safety, our education, it's yours. We give it to you. And I have no regrets about that. And now I get the, I get the, we get to reap the fringe benefits. By the way, Matsumoto-san, they call, we call her Matsumoto-sensei. Matsumoto-sensei is probably in her 80s today. She's still a missionary in Senegal. Do you know the Lord who stood before a little boy and touched his heart? Have you ever stood and watched him? Maybe I know not in the same sense that the little boy did. But have you read the, the words in this holy book? that described to us the Savior of sinners, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. When we come to Him and say, Lord, here's my life. It's, Lord, I don't have a lot to offer you. All I have is just, just a little boy's lunch, but I want you to have it. When we do that, we receive the greatest blessing we've ever had in our lives.